Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome to Girl Next Door. It's Renee here and I am really truly glad to be with you. Thanks for coming along to listen. I thought that today I would spend a little bit of time unpacking what happened on the weekend. Quite a historical weekend for Australia with um, overwhelmingly Uh, Last time that I looked, over 60% of Australia voting um, a no to the voice referendum. Now, just in case you are listening from another country or maybe you are listening in the future to this, just to give you a little bit of context, that it was on October the 14th that all Australians went to the ballot box to decide on whether or not there were there were two parts to this, but we could only reply with one answer. But the question on the ballot paper was a proposed law to alter the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? Now, I think the issue that most Australians had with this is that there were really two things they were asking us to answer at once, one being um, do we want to recognise First Nations people in the Constitution? And I really do think that most Australians would absolutely have no issue with that whatsoever. But it was the second part that seemed to cause the most amount of um, mistrust or controversy in our country, which was the establishing of an Indigenous voice to Parliament. So what I want to have a look at today, the first thing I want to do is to address four things that I believe Australia was actually saying no to, but then to look at the four lessons that we can all learn. No doubt there are people listening right now, um, you know, we would all be a split, obviously, on the way that we each voted. I'm sure there are people listening who voted yes, who felt disappointed. There would be uh, people who voted no, who um Uh, would be glad that the no vote went through. Um, But I'm sure that one thing that we can all agree on is the vote, the way that it went was absolutely not because we don't love and want the best for our Indigenous people. And so I think what we have to do when something like this happens is really pull ourselves together and go, what is the best way forward? I know quite a few celebrities and um, media were not so nice on, um, on the fact that it didn't go through. Um, people like the comedian, actress Mag- Magda Zelinsky, Z- Z- I always forget her last name, you know, who was threatening with things like, if you vote um, no, I'm writing down your names. Well, it would turn out that she would have to be writing down an awful lot of names. And so it's just not the way forward for us to continue to be split. Um, so this vote was achieved in record time. Like it happened really quickly. I was actually out to dinner. Our youngest um, just turned 18, had his birthday. We were having dinner together and I had my phone next to me and I had the live poll sitting there. 
And I just couldn't believe how quickly that the no vote was coming through. Now, I want to just explain a few things first to those of you that might not fully understand, but it's actually very difficult to change our constitution. And the only way that it can be changed is via a referendum. And there are some rules around this referendum, which does make it very, very tough for anything to change in our constitution. Uh, And this was set up on purpose by our founding fathers. Otherwise, any ruling government of the day could make any changes that they want. So for a vote to go through as a yes, we actually need what's called a double majority. So that means that you need to have the majority of our states to all have a majority of the yes vote. And so when it came to this vote, I'll break down the states in just a moment, we weren't even close to having a majority of states. In fact, every single state voted no. Of course, that's not including um, the Northern Territory and the ACT, which are not considered states because they're territories. Now, I just want to make a couple of things really clear that I know everyone that voted no would want everyone else to know. And that is that it is not a rejection of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. This is more a rejection of um, of government, I think, of bureaucracy, and definitely um, a rejection of the division that's been happening increasingly in our nation. Now, I think that our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, I think that he showed that he really was quite out of touch with the people, the fact that he didn't... Um, they weren't expecting, I don't think, the no to be uh, such a large vote, but also the way that he went a- about it. He um, he was very, very manipulative and forceful um, when it came to the way that he campaigned. And so knowing now that the majority of the people were disagreeing, I'm wondering if he's feeling like, whoa, I'm quite out of touch with my people. Um But I know that some of you would be listening and going, yes, but he's in touch with our Indigenous people. And of course, there are two sides to that, of course. Now, I think um, the outcome had nothing to do with misinformation. Um, Our premier here in Queensland actually made claims like, oh, you know, our state's just not ready. I don't think it's because we weren't not ready either. I think just outright Australia really voted loud and clear. Australians, the majority of Australians um, made their voice very clear that they did not want this to go through. Now, if we have a quick look at the states, last time I looked, um, overall, it was 60.9 or 7%, I think. Victoria had a 55% vote of no. Tasmania had 59.5% no. New South Wales had 59.6% no. Western Australia at 63.6%. South Australia at 64.6%. Queensland was the highest at 68.9% and the Northern Territory 60.5% and the ACT. They were the only ones where the yes vote got through because their no vote was 39.2%. So we were not even close to getting the yes vote through. Um, The other thing that I find interesting and I can't wrap my head around this yet and I need to do a little bit more research, I'm hearing split 
um, opinions on where Indigenous people sat with the vote. So I'm hearing some some mainstream media saying if you look at the regions really far north or really far out west where the uh, Indigenous communities are, that they overwhelmingly voted um, yes. But then I'm seeing other media break it down in other ways where they're saying, well, no, it was still even from the Indigenous community, it was an overwhelming no. So I want to do a bit more research on that. I was going to talk about it, but I don't feel that I know enough about that. Um, But one thing I do know is that it is not because people wanted Indigenous people to in any way, shape or form to feel rejected. Now, whether some of them do or not, um, I'm sure that that might not be the case, but I know that that is not the intent. I think what's happened is it's the government that's missed it big time. I think um, our prime minister missed it big time. They were pushing so hard for a yes. Now, we had all of the state governments pushing for a yes. We had all big banks pushing for a yes. Big businesses, Coles, Kmart, Woolies, Bunnings, Telstra, I could go on and on. They were all pushing for a yes. Sporting bodies were advertising that they were on the yes vote. Qantas was advertising yes. Universities, schools, celebrities, journalists. I mean, John Farnham, he put his his song, The Voice, behind it. So I find it interesting that despite all of that, and normally Australians can be pretty convinced by all of those, you know, businesses, celebrities, government, um, and yet the overwhelming vote was still no. Now, there's a few things that I think are clear. Voting no does not mean that we are racist. Voting no does not mean we don't care about Indigenous people. Voting no does not mean that we haven't acknowledged past hurts and wrongs. And it doesn't mean that reconciliation cannot be achieved. I think voting no does mean that Australians are tired of being divided. And I don't think that this has to divide us further unless we let it. So let me just go through four things on why I think Australia voted no, and then we'll go through the four lessons that can be learned from this so that we can move forward together. Now, the first thing I think on why we voted no is that we were saying no to just blindly trusting government. Now, I said this on my episode I did a few weeks ago on The Voice. My feel was back then, and it seems to be right, that there is a huge distrust of government around this. Now, I know, I have no doubt, the average Australian wants to see our Indigenous community thrive. So I think this was a big vote of no confidence, not towards them, but towards the government. So we need to hold the government to account. I wonder, you know, how much exactly the government has spent on our Indigenous community and why hasn't it been effective? Now, there's been a figure bandied around that over $30 billion per year is spent on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. Now, there was some fact-checking around this, and it turns out that out of that $30 billion, only $6 billion of that goes directly to the Indigenous community, and the rest of it goes onto services that are used by mainstream. What that means is 
The rest of the money goes to services where both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people benefit. So we're talking schools and hospitals and unis and welfare and public order and safety and uh, areas like that. So I find it interesting that $6 billion is only the amount that is actually going directly to what, where is that money going? Why isn't there more money going? Like if they're, if they're saying 40 billion, why isn't it 40 billion going directly to them? And even if it's 6 billion, which is not that much, where's it going? What's it achieving? Um, you know, where, where have the outcomes been on this? And so I think that's where Australians are saying, Hey, we're not just going to trust what government is saying here. We actually want to see data. We want to see facts. We want to see what the outcomes are. And if they've been spending years and years and years and billions of dollars towards the Indigenous community, why hasn't it made any difference? Like, isn't that the sign of like insanity to keep doing the same thing and expecting different results? If we really want to help with the real issues of Indigenous community, then we need to find a different way. And I think accountability of the government is what the Australian people are asking for. I think we're wanting to see actual practical solutions rather than more bureaucracy. Now, there have been calls from some leaders in our nation for an audit into the spending on Indigenous affairs. And I think all Australians would say yes to that. Let's see how much money actually is being given and how much is actually getting to the Indigenous communities on the ground. The other thing that is being called for, and I wholeheartedly agree, is a royal commission into the chronic rates of sexual abuse in current Indigenous uh, cultures. And I 100% agree, and I have no doubt everyone agrees with that. And so I think when we say no, it's because we just don't have any trust that what the government have been doing is having any effect. And I think it is the right way to start going, let's have an audit and let's have a royal commission. The first thing we should be doing is protecting Indigenous children. Now, the referendum, as we know, cost $365 million of the taxpayers' dollars. That is an insane amount for something that overwhelmingly the Australian people didn't want. Uh, I don't know why the government couldn't work that out to begin with. And so, again, what a waste of money that could have gone to something else. The second reason I think Australians said no is they were saying no to the lack of information. Now, the no campaign were accused of giving misinformation, um, but these days misinformation is just really information that people don't agree with. But clearly the majority had more of a problem that the yes vote were giving no information. Now, we were told things like, hey, if you want to show kindness and friendship and you want to close the gap, vote yes and we'll work out the details later. Well, that's not good enough. We're talking about changing our constitution. And again, if we couple this with what I just said in point one, if there's distrust or mistrust in the government, why would we then just, you know, go, yeah, let's just vote yes. And then, hey, government, we just so trust you. You you can work out the details. I think Australians were saying that's not good enough. I mean, we were hearing all sorts Um my understanding from my research was that it was going to be a body of 24 people. And it was a very complicated process on how those 24 people were going to be elected. And then what exactly were they going to give advice on? Well, we didn't really know it was going to be on anything that affects Indigenous communities. Again, we don't have a problem with that, but 
that's pretty much everything. Everything affects Indigenous communities. So, you know, what is this going to hold things up? Like, there just was so much mystery. And I think when there's mystery around things and we're not given detail, again, it just breeds more, um, more distrust in the process. Now, Another thing, the third reason I think Australians, what they were saying no to was more division. I think this is a big one. I think that Australians who are pretty laid back by nature, I think we've been quietly sitting back and watching the past few years. And I think this was Australia's way of saying, you know what, enough's enough. Now, I think about just Australia Day. I did a podcast earlier this year on Australia Day. I had a lot of messages about that where people were like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for articulating what we've been feeling, where Australians want to be able to acknowledge and reconcile with Indigenous um, First Nations Australians. Uh, But in doing so, it's like we're not allowed at the same time to be proud at all of being Australian if you're a non-Indigenous Australian. And this was really shown on Australia Day. I mean, for the past few years, when I first arrived here in Brisbane, I remember Australia Day, I was really surprised, Australia Day was celebrated almost more than Christmas. Whereas in Adelaide, where I was from, Christmas was a big deal and Australia Day was not that big of a deal. But here in Brisbane, People would put flags on their cars, they would put them on their houses, uh, maybe because of the weather here and the beaches, and it just was such a big deal. But over the years, that's gotten less and less to the point where like, you almost don't dare put an Australia flag on your car, right? Otherwise, you're going to be targeted. I know um, a lot of places that used to sell, you know, Australian Um, flags and hats and different things for Australia Day, they just stopped selling them. And I know businesses that were targeted and bullied in years gone past for acknowledging or celebrating Australia Day. Now, this is not bringing unity in our country. This is bringing terrible division. And people have gone from proudly putting up Aussie flags to tiptoeing around in hush whispers. We dare not say Happy Australia Day out loud for fear of retribution. In fact, we can't even call it Australia Day. We have to call it Invasion Day. And I think Australians are like, you know what, enough's enough. Like, um, this is not closing the gap. This is not bringing an ounce of reconciliation. And I know that I definitely saw that this year when I took my kids to uh, breakfast on Australia Day. Cameron was away and I was like, let's go celebrate. And we're in the cafe and I'm like, happy Australia Day, guys. And my kids were like, mom, shh. I'm like, what? They're like, mom, you can't say that out loud. And I'm like, no, this is ridiculous now. Like I am grateful for our country. Every country has got a jaded past and we are more than happy to acknowledge that. But why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't we acknowledge and then move forward together? Now, I was told by a couple of university students that Indigenous Australians, they got emails to say that if you identify as a First Nations person, you are allowed to have extensions on your assessments. Uh, and you don't even have to apply for it. You can just have it. If you want, you can email your lecturer and let them know. However, if you are a non-Indigenous, you would maybe be considered if you applied. Now, that for the university students is just creating more division again. 
And if you flip that, I know people will be like, oh, but that sounds fair. Well, no, but if you flip that and you go, you know what, all all white students, you're allowed to have extensions for as long as you want. But Indigenous people, you have to apply. We might give it to you. Everyone would be in an uproar. Uh, And so I find it interesting that it depends on the color of the skin as to which way that it's considered racist. Um, There's rules for one and and not the same rules for the other. And this is not making sense to young people either. And we really need to look at that. And I think that's what Australians were saying no to was further division. And the fourth thing I think they're saying no to is the the gaslighting and the manipulation that we got leading up to the campaign. I think that backfired terribly. I think that people have had enough of the implication that you are only a good, kind, non-racist person if you vote yes. And I think if the government had just presented facts about the voice Um, told the Australian people exactly what it would look like and why we need it, and they had good reason, I really do believe that Australian people would have been all for it and they would have been more than happy. But I think the way that they went about it, gaslighting, bullying and manipulating, that there was only one way to vote and that was yes, I think that really backfired in, uh, in so far as the campaign went. Now, if you have a listen to some of Albanese's reels, he he is very emotive and you can see what I mean if you go back and play them. The implication to what he says was that if you vote no, you're unkind. If you vote no, then you're not thinking with your heart or your head. Now, another person that um, I'm sure you would have heard about was a veteran journalist here in Australia called Ray Martin. I've grown up with Ray Martin. I remember watching him as a kid. The guy never gets older. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've gotten way older. I've gotten decades older. This guy looks exactly the same. He's classy. He's got a really good journalist voice. He's done brilliant journalism over the years. But unfortunately on this one, he actually said that you're a dinosaur or a D-head who can't be bothered reading, then vote no. Now, this really backfired. He was challenged by another journalist on Morning News and he refused to retract it or to apologize and he doubled down. Now, that comment clearly didn't fare uh, very well. He's made it very clear what he thinks, that obviously the majority of Australians are dinosaurs and D-heads. That does nothing to help the Australian spirit. All of these things create division. And I think that's what we were saying no to. But I tell you what we were saying yes to. I think there was a big resounding yes to um, to Jacinta Price. Uh, now, not everyone might agree with her, but I want you just to have a bit of a listen to Ben Fordham, who spoke about her after the referendum on his radio show. Take a listen to this. Australia has said no to The Voice, but I think Australia has said yes to Jacinta Price. We were voting on a specific proposal, but I think if you step back from it a bit, Aussies all over the country have been inspired by a message that Jacinta Price has shared. She's encouraged us to look forward and not back. Now, that doesn't mean that we sugarcoat our history or pretend like awful things haven't happened. Every country has got dark chapters in the history books. But Jacinta Price's message is one 
of hope, to lift people up, to say to Indigenous people, don't always see yourself as a victim because otherwise you'll be stuck there forever. And to the rest of us, Jacinda Price has said, be proud of the country you live in. And while not ignoring the mistakes of the past, there's no value in always looking back. And I think off the back of the voice referendum result, we have no choice. There's no point looking back. We all must look forward and feel grateful for the country that we live in. I think Ben said it really well there. Now, Jacinta Price is the Shadow Minister for Indigenous Affairs. And I think what she has, her message that has resonated with a lot of people is that she's trying to bridge the gap. Everyone else, it feels like they're trying to widen the gap between uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Jacinta Price is doing everything that she can. Her message is one of bridging the gap and us working together. It's one of hope. I think her message is one that we can build on. We want to be proud of our country and we want to work together. So that's the four things that I think that we were saying no to. Let me quickly go over them again. Um, let me go. Uh, we were saying no to blindly trusting in the government. I think we were saying no to the no information, uh, no to division and no to the manipulation, the gaslighting, the way that the campaign went. But there are some lessons that we can take out of this. And so I just want to end with the four lessons that we can learn. And I think the first lesson is that The government needs to identify the real issues and offer practical solutions with measurable outcomes. And I think that's all three of those things are really important, identifying what the real issues are. I'm really not hearing a lot about what the real issues in the Indigenous communities are, what the practical solutions are. But then even after that, where are the outcomes? Like where are the measurable outcomes? I was in a Zoom before the referendum with some beautiful Indigenous friends of mine, and they were telling us that the biggest health problem in parts of the remote communities in the Northern Territory is actually renal disease, that's kidney disease. Now, up there in Alice Springs, it is home to the largest renal unit in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, the first thing I thought of was, okay, why is renal disease so prevalent amongst the Indigenous community? Like, is it poor diet? And while that is a contributing uh, factor, my friends said that the biggest problem is actually that the water up there has uranium in it. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I Googled it and it's true. The water has got three times the recommended amount of uranium and uranium in water is what damages kidneys. So this is a really good example uh, of, okay, there's a real issue here. That's a real issue I've never heard about before. And what's the solution? Well, even with the solution, that's great that they're providing a renal unit, but what about fixing the water? Who's accountable for fixing the water? And then what about the measurable outcomes? Has the water been fixed? Okay, now let's look at the renal disease issue in the community. Is it going down? They're the kinds of things that we are looking for. This is where the government need to listen to the Indigenous community. And if the gap is the biggest in the rural communities, then more solutions need to be aimed there. Now, this leads me to the second lesson that we can learn, which is solutions need to come from the ground up, not the top down. Okay, so of course, ground up, meaning the solutions need to come from grassroots level of where the issues are rather than top down all the time, which is government, right? Which is like, 
federal government, if I had a problem, for example, with the water that's being you know, supplied to my house in my area, I'm not going to go writing an email to the federal government to help me. I'm going to go to my local council. And I think that's a huge lesson that we need to learn from this. So if the uranium in the water, for example, is causing renal disease, then this is best solved by the leaders in the council of that community. Those that are providing water services to that area need to be held to account and pressure needs to be applied until change is made. So it's clear that the top-down approach has failed dismally. We need a grassroots of fresh leaders, people like Jacinta Price, to rise up. We need their voices to be heard. Uh, and we, ne- we need to let those that are on the ground identify the issues and work together to find solutions. The third lesson that we need to learn from this is we do need rigorous accountability of where the taxpayer dollars have gone and how effective those dollars have been. So again, this is to do with the accountability of the government, but we need rigorous accountability of where the money's gone and how effective it's been. I googled, right, money meant for Indigenous communities gone missing. You Just pause this podcast and go look that up. Money meant for Indigenous communities went missing. There were so many articles that came up. And, and this money has all been provided by government, by top-down How the heck can all this money go missing? Now, there was an article reported in May of 2022. Uh, The ABC reported that an Aboriginal community benefit fund, now this isn't a government one, this is actually an Aboriginal funeral insurance company, and it collapsed and millions of dollars went missing and people just have never had their money uh, given back to them. In July of 2018, South Australia's Aboriginal community asked the Premier to find the $15 million that was lost after the state government struck a deal with the Commonwealth to avoid community closures. Now, there was no accountability as to where that money went. If we go back further, September 2005, there's an article in the Sydney Herald about how millions of dollars of federal money never makes its way to Aboriginal Australians and there is little to no accountability. And I think most Australians would be um, suspicious of that anyway. And that is a huge lesson to be learned. All of this money that's been given, where's it gone? Again, in this Zoom with my Indigenous friends, and I didn't capture the detail, but I know one of them was saying that there was a project that some senator was over and he was distributed millions of dollars for this project in uh, for an, an Indigenous community in the Northern Territory. And he siphoned and funneled the money elsewhere and it never got to where it was meant to get to. And we want to have more bureaucracy. This is why people were like, no, to the voice. I think they're like, why would we want more bureaucracy and Indigenous Australians not truly being helped? And the fourth lesson that I think we need to learn is what reconciliation really is. And that is that it is really meant to unite us. Now, after Saturday, I saw community leaders saying, well, reconciliation's dead and now we need to mourn. That is not the intent of the Australian people. We want reconciliation, but that cannot look like more division. That cannot be race pitted against race. You know, and that can't happen when we call non-Indigenous people colonisers. It can't happen 
when we call Australia Day Invasion Day. These are all strategies intended by activists to further divide us. We hear this word reconciliation all the time. We need to redefine it or define it again. It means to restore to friendship or harmony. Now, according to Reconciliation Australia website, at its heart, reconciliation is about strengthening relationships between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and non-Indigenous people for the benefit of all Australians. It also went on to say that in a just, equitable and reconciled Australia, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children will have the same life chances and choices as non-Indigenous children and the length and quality of a person's life will not be determined by their racial background. Now, I think most Australians would absolutely be in agreement with this. Now, according to that website, there are four parts to reconciliation. There's institutional integrity, there's race relations, there's equality and equity and historical acceptance. Now, I think some elements are good. I think some are keeping us a bit stuck. I think equity, for example, is a problem. I've talked about equity before. Uh, It's different to equality. Equality of opportunity should be given to everyone. Every Australian should have equal opportunity. Equity, on the other hand, that's the outcome. Uh, Really, the equity, you can't force equity. If you start forcing that everyone has the same outcome, that is a socialism idea. That's a Marxist idea. That's where you have to start redistributing uh, resources and wealth, taking it from one and giving it to the other. That's not biblical either. Equality of opportunity is. And that's what Jacinta Price is saying. She's saying, hey, we want all Indigenous Australians to have equality of opportunity, but then it's up to all of us to not be a victim, but to do something with that. And then the outcome, the we can't force the equity. The outcome is up, up to each one of us. The other thing that I think is keeping us stuck is the idea of historical acceptance. This is causing issues. Again, the majority of Australians are happy to acknowledge the past wrongdoing inflicted upon Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. But, you know, Reconciliation Australia is saying, well, we've got to make amends. And this is where we're getting stuck in a cycle. It's like, well, what do you mean make amends? What does that look like? Who demands what amends need to be made? How long do we need to make amends for? And I think, again, this is maybe one of the reasons that the voice to parliament failed is because we are finding ourselves in a perpetual cycle of nothing uh, is ever um, enough. Nothing that we do, nothing that we are is ever seems to be enough. And this is eroding the unity between us. It's eroding our Australian spirit because we feel that this has gotten us to the point where making amends means that we can't be proud to be Australian and instead we have to denounce it. And again, I, I can't remember who was playing recently, but there were two teams playing. I don't know what sport, guys. You know I'm not sporty. An Australian team and then um, I don't know if it was a New Zealand team. And, you know, they both sing the anthem. The other team were singing it with gusto and crying. And then uh, with the Australians four or five of them refuse to even open their mouths. And it's like, what the heck? Like, so we now can't be proud to be Australian. We have to close our mouth and not sing the anthem. Like that's do, that's just making Australians turn on Australians. And we know that divided we fall and united we stand. And so I know that the heart of most Australians is for us to 
work towards having a more united Australia. We are sick of division. We want us to be reconciled. So let's finish here with biblical reconciliation because biblical reconciliation is a whole new way of thinking. It's deeply embedded in the Christian message that Jesus Christ died to reconcile us to God. Reconciliation is about righting wrongs, but it also can't happen without forgiveness. And that's the only way that we can move forward together. So I hope that that little unpacking has helped you today. I actually had another episode planned where I want to talk about Israel and Palestine, but I'll save that for uh, for next week. That's probably something that um, I've had to spend a lot of time getting my head around. And I know a lot of you have said to me, oh my gosh, I don't understand it. Can you talk about it? And so we will talk about that next week. I'll actually unpack Um, not my opinion on it, but I'm just definitely going to unpack just like geopolitically what's going on, but also the history uh, of of what's happened between Australia and um, Australia, Israel and Palestine go all the way back to Bible times. So make sure you join me for that. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you for your written reviews, for the five-star ratings and for all of those that support me on Buy Me A Coffee. I really appreciate you guys. I hope you have the most wonderful week. And I look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, have a great one. Bye.